and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. And this morning, Pastor Elliot's Christmas message titled Camping and Christmas continues. Again, we ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 14. This morning, we see the love that it took for Jesus to welcome many inconveniences by pitching his tent in the campground that we call Planet Earth. And now, Pastor Elliot presents Camping and Christmas. So scripture calls your body a tent. And scripture said that the Lord Jesus Christ, the first Christmas, came and pitched his tent on earth. He took on a human body capable of dying, capable of bleeding. That is Christmas. I think that one of the most interesting facts about camping is that it has some very funny inconveniences after you've had those inconveniences. After you look back on a particular camping experience, you can laugh as a family when maybe it was harder to laugh when you were going through the difficulties. Uh, My friend in the church family, John Streb, says this theory, that the more miseries, the more memories. (laughs) And that's so true. I mean, think of back on your times camping. I can think of some of my own too. Leaks in the tent canvas, uh, the supports of the tent collapsing in the middle of the night, uh, trips to the potty in the black of the night and falling over stumps and such. Uh, Bugs in the mattresses, bugs in the food, bugs in your ears, bugs in your nose, dirt everywhere, raccoons in the cooler, one's too hot, one's too cold, noisy lanterns for light burning, cramped quarters, Yes, camping is a time when we willingly subject ourselves to inconveniences for the sake of the whole experience. And when we live in tents, as we all do, then there are plenty of inconveniences for each of us who have bodies that age or become sick. But the amazing thing, the amazing thing about the incarnation, God becoming flesh at Christmas, is that the all-wise God, the infinite God, the all-powerful God, the all-glorious God, the all-holy God, willingly, profoundly inconvenienced himself by camping in a human tent on a dusty tennis ball we call earth. Jesus came and pitched his tent for a while amongst us on this dusty, dirty, sin-infected campground. Amazing. God had hurt feelings. God hungered. God got headaches. God thirsted. God cried. God got sleepy. God stubbed his toe. God sweated. God experienced the common cold. God worked at a boring, thankless job in obscurity for 25 years. God worshiped and prayed and God tithed. God could only be one place at a time. God scraped his elbow and skinned his knee. God was teased and left out of kitty games. God met opposition and hatred. God pitched his tent among us. 
And most amazing of all, God died for you. Augustine beautifully captured all this with these thought-provoking words. Maker of the Son, he is made under the Son. In the Father, he remains from his mother, he goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Ruler of the stars, he nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. Oh, yes. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched his tent in our campsite. And he was inconvenienced for doing so. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he loves your next door neighbors who curse his name and don't know him yet as Savior. That's how much he loves the soldiers in ISIS. He pitched his tent in our campsite. What grace. Verse 14 of John 1 goes on. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Will you notice two blessings in this part of the verse that we're going to cover? The first blessing of camping and Christmas is being able to see God's glory. Because Christ came that first Christmas and pitched his tent amongst us, we were able as a human race back then to see God's glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. You do realize that prior to Christmas, the first one, that God's glory was toxic to the naked human eye. You could not look at God's full glory with a naked human eye before Jesus pitched his tent in our campsite and not be consumed. What is God's glory? God's glory is his intrinsic, eternal perfections. Intrinsic means inherent to him. He gets it from no one else. It belongs to him in perfection. Intrinsic glory intrinsic, eternal perfections. Jesus Christ's perfections that we saw manifest when he became flesh and pitched his tent amongst us were always his perfections from eternity past without beginning. And Jesus Christ's perfections that are seen in the pages of scripture and the gospel accounts of his life on earth will always be his perfections without end going forward. And so the glory of God, the whole package is God's intrinsic to himself only, eternal with beginning and without ending, perfections, justice, love, grace, mercy, holiness, and the list could go on. All of these things our Lord Jesus Christ is, and he is all of these things in perfection. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Martin Luther said, 
This spring is inexhaustible. It is full of grace and truth from God. It never loses anything, no matter how much we draw, but remains an infinite fountain of all grace and truth. The more you draw from it, the more abundantly it gives of the water that springs into eternal life. Just as the sun is not darkened by the whole world enjoying its light and could indeed light up ten worlds just as a 100,000 times the light of this one, and not have anything to detract from it, just as the learned man is able to make a thousand others learned. And the more that he gives, the more that he has, so is Christ our Lord, an infinite source of all grace, so that if the whole world would draw enough grace and truth from it to make the world all angels, yet it would not lose a drop. The fountain always runs over full of grace. Oh yes, when Jesus pitched his tent in our campsite, those alive on earth when he did beheld the glory, the intrinsic eternal perfections of God. One commentator says this, man's glory is granted to him if you take a king and take off all of his robes and his crowns and strip him naked and put him next to a beggar and give them both a bath, you'll never know which is which because there is no intrinsic glory. The only glory the king has is when you give him a crown and a robe and sit him on his throne. He has no intrinsic glory. That's the point. The only glory that men have is granted to them. The glory that is God's is in his very essence. You can strip a king naked. You can defrock a priest. You can't de-glory God. That's his nature. You can't touch his glory. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be added to. It's total glory, and it cannot be diminished. It's his glory. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, when we come to consider the glory of God, that it would be his intrinsic eternal perfections, perfections that are perfect are absolute. Absolute virtues, absolute consistencies, absolute wonders. There was a dad and a young boy, four years old, who were walking one day together, and after they had done it, they stepped on an anthill, and the little boy said, Dad, look, And the boy looked at the ants, and the dad looked at the ants, and the anthill had been mushed by their feet. And there were ants injured and writhing and dying. And the little boy said, Dad, if we could only go down there, if we could only nurse their wounded and bury their dead and tell them that we care about them, we're sorry we stepped on their anthill, that's what I would like, Dad. The dad said, Son, but the only way we could do that is if we could somehow become an ant and go to that anthill as an ant. And then if we could do that, son, then they would understand what we are like if we become an ant. They could understand what we are really like and we didn't mean to hurt them. And the word became flesh and pitched his tent amongst us and we beheld his glory. Christmas. I have a Christmas devotional for you. It's titled, Mary Had a Little Lamb. It's by Dr. Mark Hitchcock, adjunct professor in Bible exposition at Dallas Theological Seminary. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. Mary had a little lamb. The best known, best loved nursery rhyme of all time is undoubtedly Mary had a little lamb. Someone has poignantly rephrased the verse as a vivid reminder of who Jesus is and why he came. Mary had a little lamb. His life was pure as snow. And everywhere the father led, the lamb was sure to go. He followed him to Calvary one dark and dreadful day. And there the lamb that Mary had washed all my sins away. The story of Mary's lamb didn't begin in the manger in Bethlehem. It didn't even begin on earth. It began in heaven before God hung the world in its place. The Bible says Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8. The entire sacrificial system in the Mosaic Law was a huge canvas that pictures man's need for an innocent substitute to die in his place. Jesus was the Lamb of God from the beginning of his incarnation. He was born in a stable, laid in a feeding trough, and visited first by shepherds. When you think about it, the Bible is the story of God's Lamb. Someone has said that the entire Bible can be summarized in three great statements about the Lamb. During the Old Testament times, the nagging question was, where is the Lamb? See Genesis chapter 22, verse 7. In the Gospels and Epistles, the proclamation is, Behold the Lamb! See John chapter 1, verse 29. And in the consummation, the cry is, Worthy is the Lamb! Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. Christmas is a magical time of giving, singing, celebration, and family. But may we never forget the reason Jesus came. He was born as Mary's little lamb to die for you and me and to wash all our sins away. Let us pray. Precious Lamb of God, thank you for coming to earth, living sinless amongst us, voluntarily laying down your life, shedding your blood so that our sins could be washed away so that the animal sacrificial system of the Old Testament could be culminated and completed. Lord, we pray that we would learn to love you as the lamb for sinners slain and the one that one day everyone will say worthy is the lamb. Lord, help us to say behold the lamb and worthy is the lamb not only with our lips, but also with our lives. This Christmas season and on into 2016, for we pray these things in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Today's Help for the Hearing segment is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church's Christian Counseling Center. 
The center is located at 58 Collins Avenue, Nassau, Bahamas. If you would like an appointment or more information, dial 323-7000. That's 323-7000. Or email them at cccbahamas at gmail.com. And now, the Executive Director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Again, thank you for having us in your homes. It's indeed a pleasure for us, and we pray that something that we say will help you to realize how important it is to really celebrate Christmas as it was intended to. First of all, I'd like to say that the best of all the gifts around the Christmas tree is the Christ of Christmas. The presence of your family who are wrapped up in Christ. And I want to stipulate wrapped up in Christ who are sold out to honoring their Lord and Savior. You see, without Christ in our lives, you would miss the chief and highest end of man, and that is to glorify God and fully enjoy Him or enjoy Him to the fullest. We need to recognize then that Christmas has to do with God sending his only begotten son into this sinful world to die for us so that we may have his forgiveness, that we might have his righteousness, that we might bring honor and glory to his name. And again, at this point, Helen, I'd like to bring you in and ask, what is your take on that? What do you think the best gift should be? I think one of the gifts you could give at Christmas is um, forgiveness. You know, many of us struggle with um, toxic anger and the past where we are stuck. We probably could extend a gift of forgiveness. We could probably take time out with a f phone call and say, I'm sorry, whatever I've said or whatever I've done or drop a note or a knock on the door. And maybe ask if you can just spend a little time, you know, and then you are there with the person, be fully engaged and be honest and set, um, accept responsibility for whatever part that this forgiveness trail you're going to take. If you have offended the person, be willing to say, I'm sorry. That's a beautiful gift to give at this time of the year, forgiveness. Yes, and I, I would agree, but we cannot wait or should not wait for Christmas to do that because then you would have had a, probably a miserable time the rest of the year if you are a child of God. The, the fact is 
we should be willing to forgive as soon as the Holy Spirit convicts us of whatever we might have said wrong or even if someone did us wrong, try to get it right. But I appreciate that forgiveness is key here because this was why Jesus Christ came into this world so that we might be forgiven. This He was the only gift that was good enough to pay the price for sin. And with that in mind, that should be a great time to not only forgive those who have might have done you wrong, but to really look back at your life and try to make sure that you would put yourself in the position that you would not let any unforgiven sin linger in your life. Deal with it as we are reminded. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And one of the things that I would like to deal with uh, at our next session is the fact that in my day, all I looked for before I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior around Christmas time was the parties. And I'll say that the day in which we live in is worse than when I was coming up as a young man. We need to remember that it's not in the things or the celebration the way the world sees it. Because all of the parties that I was involved in, I had no peace. I had no hope. But I can say thanks be to God when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. There was a peace that I did not know that God gave to me. And that is the peace that passes all understanding, that keeps our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I thank my God for the fact that because of my willingness to surrender my life to Jesus Christ, there is a peace that I don't deserve, but because of God's grace and because of God's mercies, I can truly sit here today and say, to God be the glory. Amen. Great things he has done. Thank you again for having us and have a blessed holiday. I'm excited to announce a bit of a change for our Christmas time this year. Instead of a Christmas Day a morning worship service, which has been our practice, we're excited to say we'll have a Christmas Eve worship service instead. Christmas Eve, 7 to 8 p.m. in the church sanctuary. And the light of Christmas is the theme of our Christmas Eve service. Hope to see you and do come early to get a seat. I have a Christmas devotional I'd like to share with you this morning. It's called Myrrh, A Royally Fine Gift by Sandra Glan, adjunct professor of Christian education and pastoral ministries and editor-in-chief of Kindred Spirit of Dallas Theological Seminary. 
Opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Myrrh, a royally fine gift. Would you give someone a casket or embalming fluid as a baby gift? Of course not. Yet that's exactly what we often think the Magi did in bringing myrrh to the Christ child. We know that first century people used myrrh to reduce pain and prepare the dead for burial. On the cross, Jesus refused wine mixed with myrrh before he died. And later, Nicodemus brought myrrh to prepare Jesus' corpse. Because of these associations, we tend to assume that the wise men had death in mind. Yet the Magi had no idea about the coming crucifixion. Jesus' own disciples comprehended it only afterward. Mary of Bethany alone, who anointed Jesus for burial, seems to have understood beforehand that our Savior had to die before returning to reign. We certainly see a literary foreshadowing of death in the Magi's gift. Yet, consciously, they themselves would have connected their myrrh more with royalty. Think of how Esther spent six months using oil of myrrh before her night with the king. Esther chapter 2 verse 12. And later, in Psalm 45 verses 6 and 8, we read, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. When the Magi asked Herod the location of the one born king of the Jews, they said that they had come to worship him. Matthew 2 verse 2. Then, when the Magi finally found him, they knelt and paid homage with their lavish gifts. To connect myrrh only with death is to miss Myrrh's strong association with riches, rejoicing, and royalty. Matthew's focus in the Christmas story is on the arrival of the king. Through his telling, we see that these wise men journeyed far to offer great gifts in honor of the one born Lord of Lords. Shall we, who know so much more of him, offer any less? Lord, we pray that we would understand your royalty this Christmas, that you are in fact the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that one day you are coming back, having come the first time as a lamb for sinners slain, that one day, King of Kings, you will come back as the Lion of the tribe of Judah to rule and to reign the earth in righteousness. How we long for that day. But until the day comes, may we live under your kingship, your lordship of our lives. Jesus, may you be the king of Calvary Bible Church and the king of every other Christian assembly rooted in your word in the Bahamas and beyond. Lord, we enthrone you in our hearts and minds and lives with your royal dignity that myrrh reminds us of this Christmas. 
And we pray these things in your royal and beautiful name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.